With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is that a copy of Lord of the Rings? Yes. Uh, New Christianity. Somebody thinks we're reading a different book. Oh, Shane! So, look at it's you. Shane. Yeah. La yeah. 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 Sit here with a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's out of Elmer Fudd or something. <laughs> yep, I'm a new one. Ooh, can you stab me on those? Sure, Red. Oh, those are so good. The real, the real ones. Limbus bread. That's fresh. Everybody's uh, week been since we last gathered. Take a look at that Are you leading tonight? Hmm? Are you leading tonight? I've already uh, had before I got here. Nice. No, I meant are you leading tonight? Oh, am I leading? No, I just. I was like, he just introduced this. He's got a stack of papers <laughs> in his hand. I thought I was leading tonight for sure. Yeah. I've been traveling all last week, so I'm a little behind in my homework. Yeah, yeah I understand that. Wes knows sometimes I'll do grading and stuff like that during yeah. meetings. Mindless. You know. Oh, those are the best. They must inside. Who inside? Do we lose people? Do we literally? I don't think so. John and okay. his brother. They're the okay. They had to get warm drinks. Oh. <laughs> I may sneak out after this to get a drink. It's not. You guys are sneaking around. It's not. I'm just kidding. I run this business. That's actually a really good reason. We'll never be offended. All right. How's everybody's week? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're starting. <laughs> yeah, we'll go, ahead and, we'll go ahead and launch into this. All right, so I wasn't here last week, and you guys kind of went through just based on the the minutes that you had sent out. You got all the way up to Strider or through Strider? We had a pretty good discussion on Strider. And we, the, very, we, we, the feeling of an onion, the, how Strider, Aragorn, and on and on with his names, it's like an onion. You keep peeling back more and more and finding yeah. out more and more about him. So it's a Christological character in the story, like right. setting that forth, like he's the archetypal uh, king. Right, right. And so David went through that in, in great detail Correct. and set him up, so. Awesome. 
Yeah, I think we're I think we're on pace to go to get to Rivendale. Great, awesome. Well, we can. I think that's then the chapter. Um, so nice start and, and a knife in the dark, huh? Yeah. So initial initial impressions on like, you know, kind of the general few chapters here, or the you know, you know they're they're past the Shire and they're moving out of some danger. You know, their first bit major encounter with danger. Any kind of initial impressions on this week? It's interesting how, like, one of the things I I liked about the Lord of the Rings movies was the the Nazgul, you know, theme and stuff, and when they're on Weathertop, and, you know, you got the team going, you know, like, you know, yeah, but it's interesting, because in, in the book, when they're at Bree, you know, they're like, you know, do you think they'll attack, and Aragorn's like, no, they probably won't, because that's not their style, like, they're not going to attack when they're not all here, and yep. they're not going to attack with a bunch of people, yep. and so it's interesting how, like, in the story, you get, like, that balance of, yep. they're not these all-powerful just crazy things that are going to break in everywhere, you know, and do all this stuff. But you have that balance that's yeah. there. Yeah, there's almost an animalistic sense about them. Like, you would say the same thing about, an, you know, wolves or something like that. Like, even though we know that they're lethal, they're likely not to attack, you know, where they themselves could be frightened, you know, in a certain sense. So there's almost this, like, fear in, in these creatures as well, which is interesting. And they did say, too, like, the, you know, Sauron loves fire, but these creatures aren't too particularly fond of that. They'll stay away. That would indicate why Strider uses fire. Right, right. But again, that's also an animalistic thing. True. Too, yeah. You know. What other kind of initial impressions on this particular week's readings? So starting with the knife in the dark, and then the flight, and then you're kind of on your way into Rivendell. Many meetings is. Oh, we're still there. Yeah. Awesome. Any any impressions here? So jumping into a knife in the dark. This is one of my favorite chapters, but I think it's like you like trying to get the movie scene out of your head like this is one of those areas where you realize how how different books can be in this because I'm like you know they're seeing they're seeing them down there but then they just go like eat some food you know and have some coffee and tell some stories and stuff like that and you're like what the heck man like as soon as they saw them in the movies you know they're running and fighting and stuff like that so there's some different dynamics that are here um one of the things that they talk about in A Knife in the Dark, there's, t- there's some tales that are that are part of this chapter here. Um, Baron and Luthien, and then, of course, you got the, the tale of Gilgalad. But I want to kind of, like, unload what those, what, what's going on in those stories or what your thoughts were as you read those songs or tales. Sort of an, uh, an allusion to Tolkien and his, and his wife. It is actually, yeah. 
Yeah, so Tolkien, if you've ever seen his gravestone, refers to himself as Baron and his yeah. wife, Luthien, which I think is what makes this chapter. I've seen it, yeah. You've seen it. So, which makes this chapter really interesting because Tolkien tends not to read himself into his literature very much unless you've read A Leaf by Niggle. But here you're starting to see him like, you know, there's there's some there's some parallels here between the two of them and their story and their romance story and you know clearly seeing him as Baron right the man right and then Luthien as the immortal elf and what did what does she do in the story? <clears throat> She's immortal. She gives up her immortality. Yeah, yeah. Becomes man. Right. Which you also see with Arwen as well, you know. So, in some sense, maybe you could see, like, Tolkien, you know, and Aragorn in kind of a similar fashion. And it's just, I think it's an interesting take on um, romantic love, you know. Especially in this period, which is like, you know, post-World post War One, you're in the middle of, you know, World War Two, and, like, there's a fantastic element to love that's happening here. What do you guys think about the whole, you know, this this tale and Gilgalad? Anything anybody want to throw out? So, wait, are you saying that when women marry men, they're giving up their immortal souls? No, you wouldn't, Nina. <laughs> <laughs> that's Gilgalad was killed by Sauron, wasn't he? I believe so. Okay. So that makes sense why Aragorn tells him, like, yeah, we're not going to finish that story. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll wait. Yeah. <laughs> it's always cute. Sam is always kind of cute. And, you know, his, his naivete and stuff where he, he thinks that Bilbo wrote that. Um, you know, he says, you know, Sam starts to recite... Nobody knows who's reciting it, but then, in a low voice, he, he murmurs and, and sings a little snippet of it. And he says, that's all I know, stammered Sam, blushing. I learned it from Mr. Bilbo when I was a lad. And goes on and says, he wrote poetry. He wrote what I have just said. This writer's like, no. <laughs> Bilbo didn't write that. It's kind of funny. How old is Sam? He's around Frodo's age. Really? young as Merry and Pippin, but I don't think he's quite as old as Bilbo. And of course, Bilbo is a lot older in the book than Elijah Wood was able to portray him in the movie. Yeah. You mean Frodo? Frodo, yeah, Frodo. Yeah, not That's what always tickles me is, in the book, Frodo's the oldest and Pippin's the youngest. And in the movie, the actor who played Pippin is the oldest, and the actor who played Frodo is the youngest of the four actors. They make them look young. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's got to come out, right? 
Sam was 12 years younger. Okay. He was born in 1380. Okay. There you go. Uh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so Sam, Sam was uh, 12 years younger than Frodo. Okay. Now this film was filmed 24 years ago now, so that if they could go back, they could probably be accurate in their ages. <laughs> It was filmed like 24 years ago. Now. What? Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. It came out in 2001. We, we, we looked up today. That's not 24 years ago. That was when it was released. They were filming for three years before that. When it came out, like when it released theaters. Yeah. So, here, so, uh, Mary asked, who was Gilgalad, right? And this is like one of those times where you're starting, between this and Baron and Luthien, you're starting to really get a sense of the, some of the deep time that's in here, right, is these these tales. And so I think you could start to tell with Tolkien, like, tales are such a big part of, you know, even the, the journey that we're on, right? And don't lose, don't lose your foot, don't lose your memory, don't lose your collective memory of the times before, right? And so he asked, who was Gilgalad? Suddenly a low voice murmured, Gilgalad was an elven king of him the harper sadly sing the last whose realm was fair and free between the mountains and the sea. His sword was long, his lance was keen, his shining helm afar was seen. The countless stars of heaven's field were mirrored in his silver shield. But long ago he rode away, and where he dwelleth none can say, for into darkness fell his star in Mordor where the shadows are. Just gorgeous, of course. And I don't even like these tongues. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. But what is he? What is what? What's he setting up here? Like, what is this story kind of set up? As we're going to read further. Well, it shows how the hobbits are stepping into yeah. an ancient story. Yeah. Becoming part of an old, old, old. Right. So continuity, right? which is something that he's made a couple of references for earlier on in this book about, you know, nobody believes the old things, you know, that's one of the dysfunctions between, you know, or disconnects between like the, this old, these older ages and this present age, right? Is like, those seem so <laughs> mystical, so far removed that they just feel like stories, you know, which of course is like a theme that you see in Tolkien where he's like, you know, we, when we forget our primordial roots, you know, we just, assume it's all imaginary, right? Or false, fictional. But he's setting up continuity here, where Mordor, you know, and the elves, and there's something tragic here. I like how Mary says that they're being introduced into an ancient story, which parallels exactly what we're doing. We're being, we're being allowed to enter the ancient story through the avatar, if you will, of the hobbits. Yep. And that's that's our vehicle into this is is we're seeing it from the perspective mainly of of the hobbits and the 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 story of the, of the knights it sounded very much medieval knighthood exploits of a knight of the tragic end of the heroes yeah. Yeah. so very very medieval and this where he ends in Mordor where the shadows are he's he's definitely bringing the ring right into it because that's the final you know the final line of the the ring you know verse yep. about the one ring so he's implicitly bringing the ring into the story yeah 
Yes. And the thing that always just staggers me about Tolkien is just you read a single like a page or a couple. You read a couple pages or paragraphs, and you're like, he couldn't write this page without all this history. Yep. And yeah. and he wrote a fragment here, and you just know that. He has not only the entire thing written out to make this fragment, but he wrote it in Elvish. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's just mind-boggling, just mm. the layers of world creation right. that he did. Which is so interesting, too, because he never he never published any of those kind of other layers there, too. So that was all, in a certain sense, like, even if he wanted to, he never perfected it well enough. So this whole time, so much of this stuff was just for him, right. you know just for the enjoyment of creating a world. Um, so they tell the story about Gilgalad, right, and the fall of Gilgalad, and then, you know, Sam says there was a lot more, but it's all about Mordor, you know? And again, I think that this is this is where you see tragedy starting to happen here. Like, they're still holding on to this road, this road that leads to the Shire, but it's slowly starting to leave them, but they don't really want to let this go because we know ultimately, like, where they're going, That what is that road all about? that road is all about Mordor, you know? So they're going this way, but they're sort of trying to hold on to this, which they do throughout the whole story, just these little pieces of the Shire. They don't really want to be all consumed about Mordor. So in this, could this also be a, uh, it's a cautionary tale, that even elven kings suffered the tragedy of Mordor and, yep. and, and fell. Yep. Watch your step. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, where all, all of reality is caught up into this, you know? And that there's all a, a tragedy, right? Who was an elven king of him, the harpers sadly sing, the last whose realm was fair and free. Yeah. You know? Which, again, is interesting, I mean, because there's the massive parallels that are there, you know? And, of course, Tolkien is writing, too, in the midst of, or in reflection of Nazi Germany and stuff like that. And that's not to say that the orcs are Nazis, like some people tried to make it out to be, but there's still this like, this this love of freedom, this love of you know yeah. where you see Mordor invading. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You know, and that's been doing this throughout history. Um... So there was a lot more. It's all about Mordor. It's called the Fall of Gilgalad. I bet you one day they'll release manuscripts like they do. There's a Fall of Numenor coming out. There'll be a Fall of Gilgalad coming out. It says he stared down at the hateful road leading back westward to his home. And then they kind of keep going on. And then we get this second 
the second story that they're sitting there above, you know, in Weathertop and they're waiting for the ring wraiths to come meet them. And then they, they tell this story of, of Baron and Luthien, which is, of course, some reflection of the, you know, him and his wife's story. But I, I'd like to read this if we can, if you guys are okay with that, and then talk through it. The leaves were long, the grass was green, the hemlock umbles tall and fair, and in the glade a light was seen of stars in shadow simmer, shimmering. Tunuviel was dancing there to music of a pipe unseen, and light of stars was in her hair and in her raiment glimmering. There Baron came from the mountains cold, and lost he wandered under leaves, and where the elven river rolled he walked alone and sorrowing. He peered between the hemlock leaves and saw in wonder flowers of gold upon her mantle and her sleeves and her hair like shadow folk following. Enchantment healed his weary feet that over hills were doomed to roam, and forth he hastened strong and fleet and grasped at moonbeams glistening. Through woven woods and elven homes she lightly fled on dancing feet and left him lonely still to roam in the silent forest listening. He heard there oft the flying sound of feet as light as linden leaves or music welling underground in hidden hollows quavering. Now withered lay the hemlock sheaves and one by one, or one by one with sighing sound, whispering fell the beechen leaves in the wintry woodland wavering. Somebody want to pick up? Joel? Sure. He sought her ever, wandering far, where leaves of years were thickly strewn, by light of moon and ray of star, and frosty heavens shivering. Her mantle glinted in the moon, as on a hilltop high and far, she danced and at her feet was strewn, a mist of silver quivering. When winter passed, she came again, and her song released the sudden spring, like rising lark and falling rain, and melting water bubbling. He saw the elven flowers spring about her feet and healed again. He longed by her to dance and sing upon the grass untroubling. Again she fled, but swift he came, to Nuviel, to Nuviel. He called her by her elvish name, and there she halted listening. One moment stood she, and a spell, his voice laid on her, barren came, and doom fell on to Nuviel, that in his arms lay glistening. As Baron looked into her eyes within the shadows of her hair, the trembling starlight of the skies, he saw their mirrored shimmering. Tenuviel the elven fair, immortal maiden, elven wise, about him cast her shadowy hair and arms like silver glimmering. Long was the way that fate them bore o'er story stony mountains cold and gray, through halls of iron and darkling door and woods of nightshade moorless. The sundering seas between them lay and yet at last they met once more, and long ago they passed away in the forest singing sorrowless. <clears throat> That's again, it's supremely gorgeous, right? I think even amongst like all of the other little songs and stuff like that he wrote in here, like that's probably the most beautiful, which I think is wonderful because it's the reflection of him and his wife. Anybody ever see the Tolkien movie? Yeah. Right? So they, they play up that. I mean, that whole movie is about their their relationship, you know, and their love together. And it is this kind of, like, you know, romantic love. And if you know anything about 
his story at all. He was a 12-year-old boy who fell in love with this 12-year-old girl, and they were separated because he was a he was a Catholic and she was a Protestant, I think, or she went to some school that was a only girls' school. And basically, his headmaster said, "You need to focus on all your studies." But his mind was all about her, right? But he said, "I will let I will I will conduct the ceremony after you've done with all your studies. You've done all this kind of stuff. You've graduated. You've made stellar great. You know all this kind of stuff." And he buckled down for years, but the moment that he was free, he went he went to her and asked for her hand in marriage. And it's this beautiful love story of waiting, right? Of just like waiting for year after year after year, somebody telling you that you can't do this because you have this responsibility to meet. And what do we see about this character Baron that might be parallel? Yeah, he's she's elusive. Yes. The, the, all the language about her is whispers and uh, grass barely bending under her. She, she's very elusive, and he can't can't get a hold of her. Yeah, and she's dancing. Yeah, she's singing. And he's right. Yeah, it's like he, she's the music. It's like trying to 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 harness music. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you get this kind of feel of him like behind bushes or trees or something like that, and watching her, and basically being like, "I'm never gonna get her." You know, I'm never going to have her until spring comes and life comes. And he's like, God dang it, I'm going to go do this, right? And she's immediately caught up with him too, right? And then what happens in their story? They fall in love. The, the language changes drastically. The, image, the imagery changes drastically. How so? Well, so before it's all... Uh, light and, and leaves and music and moon and it's flowing and it's whispers and it gets down here at the end and it's talking about the shadow of her hair, the trembling, um, the shimmering, it talks about her uh, shadow of her hair again and then it's mountains cold and gray, the halls of iron, dark like it starts to, the imagery becomes much more solid instead of ethereal. It's, it, I guess it's the, yeah. the reality of, of the, you know, the, maybe the solidification of the relationship and what that means to her. Long was the way that fate them bore, over stony mountains cold and gray, through halls of iron and darkling door, and woods of nightshade moorless. The sundering seas between them lay, and yet at last they met once more. And long ago they passed away in the forest, singing sorrowless. I think you're seeing three things happen here. Number one, death is happening, right? Your iron gates, right? So, you know, took them a long ways. But fate finally caught up with them. Stony mountains, cold, gray, halls of iron, darkling doors, right? Death has trapped them, right? But the sundering seas between them lay, and yet at last they met once more. And so there is here, right? People have sometimes wondered about religion in Lord of the Rings, and sometimes you'll hear people say things like, oh, there's no religion in Lord of the Rings. But here you have a, a belief in an afterlife. Yeah. Which I think again speaks to Tolkien's Catholic faith and the fact that for him this was still a Catholic story, you know, or Christian story. But then again, continuity, right? As Miriam said, and long ago they passed away in the forest singing sorrowless. So what happens here? Like, so he's connect. He could then. So there's a beautiful story, Baron and Luthien, in which they preserve. This is just like the icing on the cake. I mean, you have like, you know. Sauron's like big giant cat you know in this story and then he becomes a wolf and he's like 
a bunch of other creatures and you know he's a uh, baron is kind of like a aragorn figure so he's wandering and he's a ranger and you know of course he's a male and he's falling in love with this you know person who's got to give up her mortal identity to be with him right so again there's some connections between aragorn as well in this story but then he says there's more continuity here where where is that in Elrond. Mm, yeah. Right? So so it is that Luthien Tenuviel alone of the elf kindred has died indeed and left the world, and they have lost her whom they most loved. But from her lineage of the elf lords of old descended among men, there live still those of whom Luthien was the foremother, which I love, by the way. It's not just all about your forefathers, right? She's, she, you know, they're talking about foremothers here. And it is said that her line shall never fail. Elrond of Rivendell is of that kin. Again, continuity here, right? And so you never really get the sense, I think, in Tolkien that you're fully leaving this old primeval world behind. Again, it's almost like, well, we speak of, you know, being descended from Adam and Eve, right? And so for him, this primordial world in which Baron and Luthien are almost kind of this, like, first couple, you know, creatures, they you know, create continuity with us. All right, and then what, what happens? So he tells this story, and then where do we go from here? They, they had their own face-off with evil. So what did that look like? Sauron's master. Sauron's master. Yeah. Melkor? Yeah. So, chapter 12, the flight to the ford, right? So what's happening in this part of the story? Frodo gets stabbed, right? By these creatures, right? And I think it's it's an interesting... Let me see if I can find out where they explain what they were like. It's a very spiritual thing that as soon as he puts on the ring, he can see them, you know, see them beneath yep. their black wrappings. And uh, we sort of dread, dreadful dreadful fallen kingly so there's like still a nobility to him yeah but this it's terrible you know it's fallen yeah immediately though everything else remained as before so he's become st- dim and dark the shapes became terribly clear which I like that word terribly I mean I think terrible dinosaur right terrible lizard is a dinosaur right so there's still some nobility to that you know terrible is a good choice of word he was able to see beneath their black wrappings there were five tall figures, two standing on the lip of the dell, three advancing. In their white faces burned keen and merciless eyes. Under their mantles were long gray robes. Upon their gray hairs were helms of silver. In their haggard hands were swords of steel. Which is interesting, like the, the play on words, right? It's the haggard hands, but they had steel on, right? Uh, their gray, upon their gray hairs were helms and crowns of silver, right? They had, uh, you know, their faces burned, their white faces burned with merciless eyes. It's power that's behind their eyes, right? 
Desperate, he drew his own sword, and it seemed to him that it flickered red as if it was a firebrand. Two of the figures halted. The third was taller than the others. His hair was long and gleaming, and on his helm was a crown. In one hand he held a long sword, and in the other a knife. Both the knife and the hand that held it glowed with a pale light, and he sprang forward and bore down on Frodo. So who are who are these creatures? They are the, the kings that were given the nine rings. Right. And they, were, they fell under the corruption of the rings of the power. That their rings turned them into rays. Right. So they lost their full Yep. Which we've kind of known, but this is the first time we actually kind of like see it, right? <laughs> that there's this thing that's behind these cloaks. I'm not sure if it was at this part or if it was a little bit further on, but I thought it was cool when they, this is my first time reading them, and yep. I thought it was neat when they um, described, like, or this may even be back before, but the um, how the cloaks are of, like, the worldly, and that's why you can see the cloaks. And even the horses, they come from Mordor, so they're still worldly, but... Yep. It just outlines the shape of who they really are, which yeah. is really cool to me because I never understood that just watching the movies. Yeah. I just was like, oh, there are these scary, you know, dark rider things. Yeah. And, but it's cool to, like, actually read about that and learn, oh, this is, this is why you do yeah. So there's an like there's an essence that yeah. you know, these are the, they they become the essence of what they are. They become more than just Right. Which makes me think of C. S. Lewis when he talks about, you know, and I think it's in a uh the great divorce where he's like, you know, the grumbler becomes the grumble, you know, like you ultimately become reduced to what your what your thing is, what your god is, whatever your idol is, you know. And so it's with these, there's, again, there's a sense of tragedy here because what were they before they were ringwraiths? Kings of men. Kings. Kings of men, right? And, like, what what was the impetus for them to become ringwraiths, aside from the ring? You know, what was the, what was the, the temptation? Power, ambition. Yeah. Power, ambition, did it happen greed. did happen? You can think about all those things. Yeah. So yeah. Eustace, yeah. a dragon heart, and he yeah. becomes a dragon. Yep, yep. So Tolkien is really saying something very similar, you know, and I don't think he's drawing it necessarily in the same analogical way, but ultimately he really does believe that you become what you ultimately worship, right, or what you ultimately want, where your heart is oriented. And he describes these, of course, earlier on in the book as neither dead nor alive, you know. And it's kind of creepy to think about the fact that, like, these ring wraiths for thousands of years, right? So we're talking thousands of years between some of these ages and these events that they were neither dead nor alive, but just existed in this state of just nebulous identity, you know? Just as their greed, just as their corruption, just as their desire for power until awakened, until called for a purpose. So yeah, their their identity. They don't have an identity other than the uh, the thing that's consumed them. That is their identity. Yeah. All all human identity is is gone. Yep. And of course, this this connects with Tolkien's idea of utility, right? Is that the 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 world, the modern world that you know was kind of becoming, was becoming a world of utility, right? And so. 
I think there's a there's definitely a case to be made that you know our desires and so forth can be corrupted so much that ultimately we become you know what our desire we lose that person we lose that nobility that kingship even if a shadow of it's still there but of course all then it takes is somebody to call on that to use that you know and again not to keep bringing up Nazi Germany but he's sitting there and you saw that happen right is people that became tools for somebody else's will right somebody else's desire I was just doing what I was told well, and even, yeah. even when they were, like, talking to the gaffer and talking to the, you know, um, farmer maggot and, and asking questions around, they they said things like, oh, maybe I'm jumping, I'm conf- maybe I'm confusing and jumping ahead to, like, in Rivendell. But at some point, one of their tactics was to say, the Lord, you know, the master will, will remember his friends right. and give gifts and you got to think I did think about like in the 30s and in, in, in Europe that that's it's a lot of how the bargaining went you yep. know we'll, we'll give you this false treaties false it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So, so a little bit of, you know, bullying, but then also holding out. So you see, can see these ring wraiths as like they were also like probably seduced and given a promise of position, you know, right. under under the, the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? And like some of the connections to today's world, because the '30s was the '30s, of course, and it's easy to look back on that, you know. And be like, well, of course we saw that there, but where do we see that today? I mean, I think it just goes to show. For me, it was not even just like them coming into like coming into power at the turn to the race. I think it's like what we see in the book and like where we're at now, and even further into the book is like men are weak-willed when it comes to like their temptations. Mm-hmm. So we don't really know everything about all nine of these kings. There could have been some of them that was like. The best king ever that gave to their back to their people wasn't looking for power, they just looked for sustainability. Yep. But they have a weakness somewhere. And it could be lust, it could be greed, sloth. And like they just the the ring that they probably had increased the temptation for whatever mm. they desired. And the more they tried to get it, the less they became. Which of course you see in Gollum mm-hmm. too. But you also see them play with it a bit with 
Bill Lowe and Frodo. You know, even Frodo's a bit like proleptic in a certain sense when he's like, I could, you know, if I keep going like this, I'm just going to become a ring wraith, right? And Aragorn's like, stop it, you know? Like, that's not a joke. Don't joke about that, right? Because it's what happens next, you know, he starts to become a ring wraith, right? So, and then there's a big, 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 big difference between the movie and the book here. Just one thing real quick. Yeah. Since you mentioned that, Strider keeps telling him to not say things. He's yeah. Like, Don't say that. Don't say Mordor. Uh, and then, uh, so it's like he, he has the, he recognizes the strength and the power of, of utterances mm-hmm. of language. And it says, it's jumping ahead again to Rivendell, but it's all right. We'll get there. Um, you know, Frodo, when he tries to stab the Nazgul, he cries out, Oh, Elbereth, Gilthonia. And later on, spoiler, you know, Gandalf says that probably actually did more damage to the, probably injured the, ring, the wraith more with that, that cry. Yeah. Then you're silly little sword. Yeah. So yeah, there's power, there's word, power, there's power in words. words, magic in words. Also, like you were saying earlier, like that, there's no religion in Tolkien. Like, it's just interesting how people say it because right here, it's like there's the classical prayer, yeah, you know, thing going on here. So, right. I mean, it'd be very hard to miss that connection that's going on. Yeah, yeah. But again, too, you know, is that something that? You know, they've kind of forgotten that there's power in words, right? He has to remind them as, you know, born, you know, born from a lineage of a different age that, you know, words are just not words. You know, you may have grown up thinking that, but there is actual legitimate power in them. Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily that they've forgotten or it's just they haven't learned that yet from their small little shire. Yeah. Exactly, in the shire, they were innocent, and so their so language had yeah. innocence to it, and there was there was never any threat. Yep. And so you can be flippant without consequence, but in out in quote unquote the real world, your flippancy has consequences. Yeah. That's a good, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe they just hadn't learned that yet, you know. Yeah. I might also note here, by the way, since we kind of. Touched on religion a little bit that you actually do see as he's telling the tale of Baron and Luthien a little bit earlier. Um, they talk about the great enemy whom Sauron was just a tool for. And again, you know, if you read any of the other stuff, you know that's Melkor and, you know, Sauron is not the devil himself. You know, it's like Sauron's a lieutenant of the devil. He doesn't really get into that. But in the back history of all of this, there, there again is theology that's part of, of this whole world, you know. And they seem to have some kind of idea, because nobody's like, what great enemy, you know. They seem to have some idea that this, this was there. And that gives me hope for, you know, that they can be fast and even bigger. Yeah. Who are you the enemy of? Who is that the enemy of, you know? If there's a great enemy... Is there a great good, you know? Is there a great hero? Which there's allusion to that throughout, too. So just because they don't mention Uluvatar, you know, doesn't mean that he's not there. Just because they don't mention Melkor doesn't mean that he's not there. You have these two opposing, you know, theological 
figures that stand kind of wrapping this whole story up and, and this is where the good and evil absolutely are. So the big difference, one of the big differences here in this chapter here between the movie and the book is <coughs> what is that? Yeah, who takes Frodo? So what? Is it Arwen? Yeah, yeah it's Arwen. It's Arwen. Way better in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so quickly too. I yep. mean, in the book it's what? Eighteen days or something like that. Thirteen days, something like that. Yeah. Like over two weeks that he's. It could have been eighteen days in the movie. You just mm-hmm. can't tell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a montage of eighteen. Days. As um, Gandalf did with Pippin when he was going from. Eteros to um to yeah to Minas Tirith and that was supposed to be a three day ride so to be fair that they could have been on elf time and wizard time (laughs) they had their own time (laughs) or 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 the Peter Jackson's time Peter New Line Cinema's time time. yeah (laughs) yeah so it's it's Glorfindel that takes them right instead and so again you know Arwen's not a not a part of this story really right now we're not super introduced to her but there's this other elf that's there and it's part of the story and it's just one of those neat little changes that they made that I think works better in the movie because you'll never see Glorfindel again but you know so it's a liberty anybody want to say anything on that kind of their journey I would disagree with Alex on that. Why? I don't know. He can't stand her. And I think she's awesome. Okay, I need you to like show him a picture of Steven Tyler. And if he doesn't like Steven, then it's definitely the mouth. It's the mouth. <laughs> no, I think she's amazing in the way she speaks, everything. She's so good. I do. I <laughs> You do see, you do see here in the story, though, some enchantment that's still there, right in the hands of the elves, and of course, just like in the movies, right, the river comes down like a like a stampede of horses and washes them away. So you still see this kind of, you know, this identi- this idea of there being magic in the world that can be utilized with, you know, these kind of ancient figures that are there. You know, of course, that's something that again, they're lamenting is passing away here, but. Even nature can be called on to fight evil. I think, you know, from hearing different conversations and stuff about Tolkien and like the whole the whole way like power works in Tolkien's world, um, it's actually really kind of wishy-washy um, in the sense that sometimes you would think that the one person who's like super powerful ends up not being that powerful, hmm. you know, compared to certain people. So, like, you know, in a sense, like, with Glorfindel, you know, uh, kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but Gandalf tells Frodo, like, they they weren't ready to face, you know, an elf lord revealed. You know, like, that idea of, like, okay, so you you would think, like, the Ring Race are, like, these really powerful, you know, things, but yet they're not. Like, you know, like, so it kind of goes back to what we've been talking about, like, the power and the pursuit of power and that thing of, um, kind of that idea of um, like uh, 
skin off Tal's Frodo. Like nobody yeah, wants to face hard times, but that's not for us to decide. What's for us to decide what to do with the time we're given. Um, there's a song, uh, little, uh, little is much when God is in it, and it's kind of the idea of um, we all have that dream of I want to be the popular speaker who leads millions of people to Christ. Yeah, you know, like that idea, but. Um, Sometimes God gives us the little task that for us drives us up the wall. <laughs> but um, it's because God's in it that actually makes it great. And so that idea of like, power in that sense um, is very dependent upon God, not on uh, who we are innately. Can we... Can we look and say that the the ring race Sauron that there's limited power, right? Oh yeah. And and so the ring race aren't all powerful, but they have access to power, but it's it's not theirs. You know, it's 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 borrowed. It's it's, yeah. it's bestowed. Right. So I don't know. It's, that's uh, that's an interesting way to look at it. Whereas. Elves are tapping into the ubiquitous power of, of nature and and uh, and not not using it for their gain, but they're actually in, in, in interacting with the power that is. Not you know. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm trying to pull on something. I can't. No, really no, no. I mean, I think I think it's clear. Like, um, in the Silmarillion, you know, the Luvatar is. God, right, and he creates everything, but he creates creatures with power, which are basically these kind of archangels, you know, Melkor's one of them, but there's a whole list of them, but they have creative powers and things like that, but the story behind the dwarves, have you read the Silmarillion, Joel? So, the story behind the dwarves, how were they created? If you remember. I, I don't remember specifically... <coughs> Um, which of the I think it was know, Ma like Manwe, I think. Yeah, Manwe. Yeah. But didn't didn't he just sort of discover them, or was that man that he sort of no? He wanted to make he wanted to make something in sort of like in his image. And yeah. So he he sort of went ahead of Iluvatar and he made his own thing. Right. That's what it was. And yeah. then that wasn't really blessed, but because. Man, I was kind of like naive or had a good heart or something. He's sort of, that's why the dwarves are sort of they're like not fully blessed as like elves, or, yep. but they're solid. Yeah, yeah, they're solid, <laughs> right? So, yeah, in this story, this archangel um, has you know, Iluvatar, the god, has these plans for creating these two these two races of elves and men. But one of the archangels decides he's getting a little antsy about it. And he's like, come on, man, I'm tired of waiting all this time for this to happen. And so he creates his own thing, right? And that's, that's the dwarves, which said at the beginning of that, their first existence, they were basically like walking earth. You know, like they didn't really have consciousness. They were more like sentient creatures. Later on, Luvatar had... I'm such a nerd with all this stuff. But <laughs> Luvatar had... He... He loved his archangel so much that because his archangel expressed regret and sorrow for utilizing power that wasn't his, but that was borrowed, mm -hmm. 
right? That he still was like, you know what? Here's your here's your consequence, but I'm also not going to kill these creatures. I want to have mercy upon them, so I'm going to give them consciousness. The difference, though, with Melkor came along and, and took elves and created what out of elves? Orcs, right? But never regretted it. There was never any, you know, he wanted to take his own. He wanted to be that. So he wanted to be pride and was never regretful of that. You know, it's just hatred fueled that. And I think there you see a big difference between this archangel that becomes the devil and this one archangel that made a mistake but wished that he hadn't, you know, and basically turned it around to give God, you know, here's my sacrifice back to you. Which I think is big for us too, you know. How often do we make mistakes and we could either lean into the mistake or we could offer that to God and say, you know, redeem this, do something with this. Yeah. All right. Do we want to keep going or we want to kind of do Council of Elrond next? I will have, we will have some string lights up here next week. Too. <laughs> yeah, I think we can do Council. <clears throat> you want to do Council next or Council now? There's a lot in council. There's a lot in council. That's what I'm wondering. So we could start it a little bit and then take it. Because this is also the end of book one here. So in the first, so. I also, I didn't jump ahead as much as I thought. Actually, it was Strider that said that about, <clears throat> about Elbow. Oh, yeah. Not yep. Gandalf. He says that on the next page. I can go either way. I'm just going to run out of battery. So am I. So, well, this next chapter is many meetings. It's the first one chapter. Last, one last thing on the flight to the Ford. Sure. I liked how um, the hobbits stumbled across a bit of their own more personal history when they came across the trolls that Bilbo oh, yeah. and Gandalf had turned to stone. Or tricked into getting turned to stone. All circling back in another bit of story and piece of the puzzle fitting. Yeah. So many meetings, what happens in this chapter here? Maybe this will take us to the Council of Elrond then. So that's, isn't that like when Frodo kind of wakes up and he realize, like, he's in Rivendell? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep. So he wakes up, he's healed or, on the, or as close to healed as he's going to be, right? This is sometimes described as like the most uneventful chapter in the whole Lord of the Rings because it's basically just introducing all the characters that are going to be you know, here, but you do get this, I believe it's here, am I correct that this is where Gandalf explains where he's been? No, that, he explains where he was in the council, Okay. he tells everybody that he was betrayed. Okay. Randy, do you want Shannon to lock up? Uh, no, I'll lock up. Yeah. Uh, it's in the council that Gandalf... He goes into detail that he was yeah, yeah. Because that's when, like, Elf Moran shares his history of what happened. Gandalf shares about his incident. So maybe we can we can end here because there's a big long poem and stuff like that that's here. But this is the first time we meet Elrond. What are what are your guys' impressions on this character Elrond? Besides it being Agent Smith. Ooh. Not not Hugo Weaving. Not Hugo Weaving. <laughs> Tell me your thoughts. I actually I think I like him better in the book than I do the movie. Yes. Um, I felt like 
I mean, I like whatever his face is that plays him. Hugo Weaving. Hugo. I like Hugo. But I felt like he had just a little, I don't know. A little more compassion and... Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. remember what it was where it talked about his demeanor, if it was his, something in his eyes or whatever, but it just felt a little more compassionate and healing in the book than in the movie that I recall. I've seen the movie movie it just always looks like he's sulking like even when <laughs> Sam comes running in like I'm staying with him like I'm going wherever he goes like yeah. when you're reading it it's almost like you're reading him laughing like well we can't separate you two We're I mean he yeah. tried like he does it in the movie a little like he's like you're not supposed to be here yeah so he's a little playful in the movie and you see elements of that but I felt like it was just it just I felt it a little more in the book like his his understanding of of the hobbits, and I mean, uh, he just, I don't know. Yeah. He's seemed a little bit more emotional the in the book. That's one of the good things about I mean, the like, book, it's because the, you have the time to develop the yes. character. In yeah. the movie, Elrond's a, Elrond's a fairly major character, but there are so many other more major characters yeah. that yeah. there just isn't the time to develop Elrond so, the way he deserves to be developed. And I know the Elrond's kind of serious, developed. but like, he's so serious. Yeah. I just don't get that same feeling. Well, I like this description, right? The face of Elrond was ageless, neither old nor young, though in it was written the memory of many things both glad and and sorrowful. His hair was dark as the shadows of twilight, and upon it was set a circlet of silver. His eyes were gray as a clear evening, and in them was a light like the light of stars. Venerable he seemed as a king crowned with many winters, and yet hale as a tried warrior in the fullness of his strength. He was the Lord of Rivendell, and mighty among both elves and men. Which is basically, which is basically Hugo weaving in words. I was about to say, like, the description, like, they, I don't know, like, description was, like, they did pretty good, I think, casting. I think they did. More smiles. Yeah, more smiles. (laughs) Most ruffled brow. the, The whole emphasis on Elrond is the whole men are weak. Yeah. We've really got to push that narrative. You know that, and so that makes him more of a downer than and in the books. Yeah, yeah. See, I like his relationship with Bilbo. Like hmm. they coming in here and like they surprise Frodo that like Bilbo's here, and they're like, "Oh, he's been sleeping." He's like, "I wasn't sleeping. I was deep in thought, coming up with a song." And he's like, "Okay, get your friend over here, finish your song, and tell us." Like mm. calling him out on his thing, but more of a 
like you, he's at trying to be serious, but yep. more in that like j- joking way of like, all right, babe, if you want to sleep and then sing your song to us. Yeah. Gentle teasing. Yeah, I mean, you. This is a guy who's lived for like three thousand years. You know, <laughs> he's been around. and He's got a lot of stuff, and he probably has some priorities figured out, and you know, concerned about the right kind of things, and not concerned about, you know, other things. And it's like, there's a lot that you can learn from him. And I think he, I think he's also again, like, again, one of those characters that you continue to look back on, as this primordial kind of character that's been here for so long that there's there's so much wisdom and depth to him. So one of the differences between Elrond and some and an elf like Legolas, right, is what? What about their relationship to the dwarves? Well, I mean, at this point, Legolas is, like, he doesn't, he's kind of like most, most elves, like, his relationship with dwarves are, is at this point, a little bit more strained. Yeah. Like, he still considers himself like the superior species. Yep, yep. But do you get that sense out of Elrond? No. I mean, he welcomed the dwarves to council. Yeah. He selects them, right? Yep. So, and I've, now I've just gotten to where they get to the other elves. Um, the elves of the south? But I can't remember. Yeah, the yeah. yeah. Galadriel's. Yeah. Uh, so there's a there, there is, and I think there you. Yeah. What did you think about Elrond and the Hobbit movie? Oh, I don't know. It's been so long since I've ever seen those films. Only he's happier. Yeah. What was the question? Elrond's a little happier in the Hobbit movies than in Lord of the Rings. A little bit. Now, in, in here, of course, you see that there's there is this fear in him, right? There, there is the reason why they're calling this council together because it's kind of like Elrond's been down this journey a bit before, you know, so he knows where this is going, right, and the importance of this all too. And so, even though you see this kind of more light-hearted kind of, you know, elf that's here, he's also got a deep sincerity to him, deep concern. Anybody else want to kind of throw in on this this chapter here? I guess I think it was really cool how in the description, because when I watch the movies, I never really focused in on him yeah. that much. Like he was there, he was he knew he knew a lot, but I don't know. I think they just describe him as someone so deep, yeah, just, <clears throat> instead of just this person who's serious. Yeah. It's like you can see this, the stars in his eyes, and that's telling you that there's something there that's more than what you get from him. Yeah, absolutely. And like what about the fact, too, maybe that they're bringing so many different characters together here? I mean, you meet a lot of characters. You, obviously, there's a throwback to Oin and Gloin, I think, you know, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is a, a continuity aspect that's happening here. I was but, a, I'm sorry. I no, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I was a little, and maybe I missed something because I'm listening to it as I'm driving. Yeah, but I'm trying to figure out like the whole time it's going right. That's his name. I know last week I had the word going right. The, yeah. Okay. The whole time it's going, talking, going, going, and then all of a sudden like, and then he's like Gimli. I'm like, was there talk about Gimli at any no. point? <laughs> they, just, there was an introduction of like Gimli, son of. 
Yeah, yeah. But again, I mean, you see that with Frodo and Bilbo. I remember the first time I read this being like, where the heck did Bilbo go? Like, I liked him in The Hobbit, and now he's not anywhere really in the story after the first couple chapters. So here, then it's like, oh, maybe Gloin's going to come along. Wait, nope, nope, never mind. He's gone. He's, he's just here to send them off. Wasn't it that Gloin and them, they came because they were, like, seeking, like, to figure out where Balin and them are? Yeah. Yeah. And what has become a Balin, Ori, and Oin, and they're basically like, they died. So we have no idea what happened to them. I like Sam's description of the elves when he's escorting uh, Frodo to the big banquet once Frodo's finally out of bed. Okay, and elves, sir. Elves here and elves there. Some like kings, terrible and splendid. And some as merry as children. And I can just see how um, Elrond is more like the ones that are like kings, terrible and splendid. You know, mm-hmm. because like you were saying, he's been around for so many years and he's seen so much and stuff. Whereas one like Legolas, who is younger, he's still not young compared to the hobbits, but he's only eight hundred. Yeah, he's only eight hundred <laughs> as opposed to several thousand. But still, he 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 can tap into the joy of youth more easily, I would imagine. And then there's this, is this here as well, um, where Bilbo and Frodo are together with the ring? Yeah. It's in this, it's in this chapter, right? Yes. I don't know if it's in that chapter, I know it's in that, when they're in Rivendell. Yeah, it's, 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 it's right after they're in the Hall of Fire. Mm-hmm. I'm not reading, it doesn't say chapters when I'm listening, so it's just like, just keeps steady stream of story. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had highlight that was actually one of the things I marked so I could I could read that. She, so yeah. Bilbo's saying that um, he would just like he should like to see it for a moment. And um, here it is. So he, he brings out he brings the ring out on on a on a new chain, light but strong. Slowly he drew it out. And Bilbo put out his hand, but Frodo quickly drew back the ring. To his distress and amazement, he found that he was no longer looking at Bilbo. A shadow seemed to have fallen upon him, and through it, he found himself eyeing a little wrinkled creature with a hungry face and bony, groping hands, and he felt a desire to strike him. And then Bilbo says, I understand now. Put it away. Mm-hmm. I think they portrayed that well yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a little jump scare there. <laughs> yeah, put it away. I'm sorry. Sorry you've come in for this burden. Sorry about everything. Don't adventures ever have an end? I suppose not. Someone else always has to carry on the story. Well, it can't be helped. And then he moves on to, you know, tell me about the Shire. You finished my book. Stuff like that. Right? They move past it super quickly, but there is this. There's, again, continuity here is a big part of this, right? So you remember that Bilbo was the owner of this ring first, and you kind of get this shadow of what he would have become had this continued to be there. Mm-hmm. You feel sorry. I felt sorry for him a little bit. 
Yeah, they do a good job in the movie. You're like, oh, and it's old man weeping. That's, you know. Pitiful. It's pitiful. Yeah, it was very pitiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You kind of see an evolution of the concept of having an adventure, you know, um, degrading into a tragedy, sort of a tragic event. Because that was his, I've always thought about, I said last time, that The Hobbit is more like a fairy tale uh, or an adventure story, and Lord of the Rings is an is an epic. Yep. I don't know what the Silmarillion is, but <laughs> it's like legend. Um, and you sort of see like Bilbo's naivete has fallen away over this time. You know that this is this is the outcome of his his little adventure. That mm-hmm. he had. Um, and now it's a terrible burden. But the, con- but the continuity there, too, is that, you know, he says, don't adventures ever have come to an end. And you're like, well, Bilbo, yours did, right? But apparently not. Like, he still sees himself. There's a connection here that it's almost like, you know, you think about, like, the, you know, the Acts of the Apostles, right? It's, you know, you got Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and then you got the Acts of the Apostles. But they really belong together, right? And so the story that Bilbo started is still this same story. And really... I think you could connect it with all that Tolkien is doing with trying to lay some of this, these legendary elements to it in these old stories is that this is one big, long adventure mm-hmm. that they're it's all part of. Person. Yeah. So Gilgalad was in Mordor, you know. Elrond was there when all this was happening, right? And the light that was there, you know, originally was still still part of him, right? And so it's like, you know, you're one little element in this whole big great adventure right although to him it probably feels like he's the key element I would think because for so long to carry that around mm. it would be hard not to I think to feel like I'm the main character in this story you know? yeah mm-hmm. oh, yeah of course I, I don't know though I, it, I don't think I still don't I don't think he got it really I still don't think Bilbo really got it until really late. I mean, I don't even think he quite gets it here, because he, he still, I think, he says, imagine my little ring. He's still yeah. being a little okay. possessive, but he's still making a little bit of light. Imagine my little ring causing all this trouble. And yeah. I don't know if that's fast-forwarding it, too. But. Well, at the end of the story, too, I mean, you know, as he's going off into the, into the you know, afterlife, basically, you know, he's asks Frodo about his little ring as well, you know, and it's like, no, it's gone. Your ring is long gone, you know. I lost it. But again, there's continuity here and you know, in the backstory and the mythology of this, there's even a couple points where they'll they'll make a statement about, you know, there will be ages to come and you know, there's almost this Armageddon that's actually that they kind of prophesy to or hint to at some point that builds some continuity where it's like eventually Iluvatar is going to do away with all this evil, right? And so even though that third age closed, in Tolkien's mythology, right, the connections of continuity, we're still on that same adventure that this was back then, you know? It's quite a, in a sense, a a psychological and sociological statement that that Bilbo makes that, you know, I'm sorry that I've I've hoisted this upon you, Mm. but each of us, have a history and a weight of the world hoisted upon us that none of us asked for. Yep. And we're all bearing burdens that 
someone previous to us has caused, and we have the consequences of that, and we're going to cause burdens for others to bear. It's the it's it's the it's the, the consequence of human human life and the human condition. Yep. Uh, and it's a great it's a great reflecting point there for us to look at and go, oh yeah, that's yeah, and we're going to do that. Yeah. So uh, let's try not to cause as much suffering as. Uh, yeah, a little suffering as possible. We will always have have people picking up our mantles and our burdens and our mistakes. Yeah. You know, as a father, you know, yes. I'm highly reticent of the fact that I leave. I'm leaving my kids with as many burdens as I am blessings. You know, mm-hmm. but it, that was Bilbo's greatest moment as well. Mm-hmm. He gave up the ring. Yeah, mm-hmm. willingly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great, Council Velrons. Probably the biggest chapter in this book, you know, in this in this part, at least up until the very end of this. So I'm excited about going into that next week. Um, David will be back, but really good discussion about this and why even have a council because it's a strange thing. Like you, you st- we're starting to pick up momentum, and mo- momentum, and things are happening, and there's battles with evil and you know these creatures and so forth, and then all of a sudden we're like, peace you know, and a council, and let's get together and chat about some things and have a very long chapter about where this is going. And it's almost like, it's a strange, it's a strange disruption in the book, in a way. Um, but you have to, but I think. Yeah, you have oh, to have totally. a disruption because of the weight of things that are coming. Yeah. You have to, you have, to like have characters who can, who can bear that weight. Right. But well, we have to get to know some brand new characters yep. that are going to be there for the rest of the whole book. So it's like, man, you just got 300 pages in before we start to learn about these characters that are going to be here from here on out, you know. And not a single one of them is Tom Bombadil. <laughs> and that's the important part. And that's the important part. Except for, you know, except for Sean Bean. Yes, yes. He was always killed. All right. Good. Anybody want to say anything else? Wednesday, they are showing the Fellowship of the Ring oh, yeah. at the Kentucky Theater on the big screen. We're going. It's five fifty a ticket. Yeah, it's it's so like, like they were like old school prices too. Yeah, two thousand. So I would buy those online if they still have them. But I'll be there. Yep. That'll be a cool thing. I don't know. He says we'll ever see it in the theaters again. I'm going to say, I've never seen this theater. Okay. No, no, no catchphrase. No, but yeah, Randy. To me? To end it. One ring to rule them all. <laughs> <laughs> wow. One ring to bind them. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.